Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. If there's something maybe that came up in your Bible reading that confused you or that you have further questions about, We'd love to help uh, discuss those things with you and hopefully answer those questions. And if there are things going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, we would love to pray for you. So do give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening here in Colorado and in southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. We're glad you tuned in today. We also want to welcome those of you listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we also want to welcome those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. It's just such a huge blessing and encouragement to see how God is growing the uh, Calvary Live family, and uh, it's being broadcast in different parts of the country. We're really excited about that, and so welcome to the program, wherever you're tuning in from. We are glad that you tuned in today. We want to remind, though, uh, those of you listening on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee that you are hearing this program on a one-week delay, um, which simply means that we would love for you to still call in, and uh, we'd love to pray for you and take your calls. Just be aware that your um, what you're hearing is probably what broadcast a week ago if you're hearing on the radio. Um, and then, but you have a unique opportunity, those of you on Truth FM and Hope FM, that you get to call in and we'll take your call on the air and then you'll have the opportunity to tune in the following week and listen to yourself on the air and get to hear yourself again. So just a reminder that you are hearing on a one-week delay in... Um, on Hope FM and Truth FM, but those of you on Grace FM, you're hearing the program live today. We also want to welcome those of you who are listening live online on our app and our website. Welcome to the program. Uh, We know there's so many of you. The other day I was doing a show, like for example right now, I'm being told by the producer we have a listener in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Welcome. So glad that you're tuning in. And we know that there are others who tune in um, around the country. Last time I did the show, the producer sent me a map of all of the people who were listening live at different places in the country. It looks like we have um, Midland, Texas, and people listening in in different places uh, around the country right now. So, hey, just such an awesome opportunity that with the Internet nowadays, you're able to tune in and listen um, via the app. So if you don't have the app, um, 
you can always go to the website. The website is gracefm.com, and you can listen live there on your laptop or even on your mobile device. But if you get that app, it'll just be easier and more streamlined for you on your phone, on your tablet. It's a free app. You can just go in your app store to um, gracefm, type it in, one word, and you can download that app, and it will be there. And you can click the Listen Live button on there, and you will be able to listen to this program and all the other great programs here on GraceFM. On your mobile devices, yeah, I just see a map right now. It looks like we got some listeners in California and in Washington State, um, down in Texas. Looks like Kansas, uh, Chicago, Illinois, over on the East Coast. So so cool to see um, people being able to tune in through that app. And uh, I know that we have regular listeners who listen all over the country. So we're so. Uh, blessed that you're tuned in and gave us your time and attention today. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, especially if you're one of these people who's tuning in uh, from different parts that are outside of our radio broadcast range. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call. The number is 303 690 or text us 720-336-0897. Again, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or prayer requests if if you would like for us to pray for you, we would love to do that, and we'd love to answer your questions. So uh, I am your host every Monday here on Calvary Live. Once again, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We're a church that loves Jesus. We love the Word of God. We love to study it, and uh, we love to study it verse by verse, our preferred way to study it. Currently, we're in a study of First and Second Thessalonians on Sunday mornings, which we call upside down and the reason we call it that is because in acts chapter 17 verse 6 that was what um, the people of thessalonica said about the christians when they came to their town they said those people who have turned the whole world upside down have now come here also and just such a you know if somebody were to say that about me or about our church i would just be blessed and encouraged like thank you Lord, because that is exactly what we aim to do. That is what Jesus did, and that is what we are called to do on mission with him. And really, if you think about it, turning the world upside down, we live in a topsy-turvy world. And so as God is turning this topsy-turvy world upside down, his kingdom does that. It's the upside-down kingdom. But his kingdom, which is upside down to this world, is really right side up because this world itself is turned on its head. And so that's what we get to be a part of in God's kingdom is things being set right by Christ in this world. And then we get to be part of that work as well as people in his kingdom. And so that's what we're uh, talking about. That's kind of the lens through which we're viewing First Thessalonians. This coming Sunday, we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of First Thessalonians and a passage which is about... The coming of the Lord, really one of the great passages. We're only taking a few verses this Sunday because it's such a rich, rich passage. But it begins like this. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as those who do not have any hope. And he talks about uh, this question about what about Christians who die before Jesus returns? And he talks about the return of Jesus and about the hope that we have that enables us as Christians to look even death and suffering in the face and not even flinch because we have this eternal, unshakable uh, hope that makes us bulletproof in a way. It gives us a bulletproof soul. And so the title of our message this Sunday is Optimisfits, uh, which is a, it's a, is a word I got from uh, a guy named Ben Corson, who has a great ministry, um, which he calls that. They have a great website. But I, lo I love that idea, Optimisfits. Like, 
uh, this idea of upside down reality and this idea of like how it is so countercultural to be optimistic even in the face of death, to not be nihilistic, but to be optimistic because we have a unique hope which gives us um, a real lens on life that says, no matter what comes in this life, I know that God loves me, that he has a good purpose for me. He's going to use even the bad for my good and for his purposes and glory. And therefore, I can be optimistic in the face of no matter what this life throws at me. And so we're going to be studying that this coming Sunday, and we would love to have you join us. And this Sunday is a really special one for us because every year, one Sunday out of the year, we do an outdoor service. And this Sunday is going to be our big outdoor service. Our church meets in downtown Longmont. Uh, we are one block west of Main Street on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Streets. And we're just on the edge of the city park here in Longmont, which is called Roosevelt Park. And so right out the front doors of our building, which is called the St. Vrain Memorial Building. So just right out the front doors of our building is a big park with like this gigantic tree in it. And it's all covered uh, with shade. It's really nice. And so we're going to set up there, you know, and we can fit several hundred people in this park that's right out in front of our um, building. And so we um, every year we make it like an annual outreach. And so we would love for you to join us. If you are within driving distance of Longmont, Colorado, come join us this Sunday, uh, August 25th, 10 a.m. Sunday morning. We're going to be doing worship under the trees and under the sun um, in Longmont, Colorado. And we would love for you to join us. Our study is going to be on this amazing passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to have worship. And then after service, if you're able to stick around, uh, we're going to have baptism, and we're going to have um, picnic and games and all kinds of great stuff. So it would be a great Sunday for you to join us. Or if you know somebody who lives in this area, maybe this is the Sunday where you say, you call them up and you say, hey, um, I'm going to come up and let's go to church together. There's this church. They're doing this outdoor service. It's going to be cool. You're going to love it. And um, so we would love for you to do that. So if you are in or around Longmont, or if you know people in this area, come out for our outdoor service this Sunday, August 25th, um, 10 a.m., and it's going to be a huge blessing, and I can't wait for it. We have some callers already, so let's go to our call-in line. Let's go first to Anthony in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to the program. Hello? Anthony, I'm here. I'm getting a ton of feedback, though. Okay, so anyways, I just have a question um, about evangelism. Um, I just started it. Um, I have a couple questions about doing it strongly. So Anthony, it sounds like uh, you cut out there. Here's here's what I heard, just for our, our listeners who might not have heard you clearly. You said that you're wanting to get started out in evangelism, and you want some tips in getting started in evangelism. Okay, here's the first thing I'd tell you. I think that evangelism comes from two loves. It's the natural outworking of two loves. One is love for God, and the other one is love for people. And I think that if you don't have strong love in your heart for people, you won't be an effective evangelist because your motive might be off in why you're doing it. But I think that if you are have an overwhelming love for people, not only will they see that, they'll understand that. It'll be it'll be communicated in the way that you talk to people. Uh, it will be felt by them. Um, 
I think that that's really, really important. So that would be my number one tip. Ask God to fill you with just an overwhelming love for people. Um, because when that happens, when you're filled with a love for people, evangelism is the natural overflow of that. And the other thing I'd tell you about evangelism is remember that um, if you can see people the way that God sees them, one of the things I love about Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, and uh, Second Thessalonians, or I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 5, Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, one of my favorite sections in the Bible, Paul says this, he says, I determine no longer to see anyone or to view anyone according to the flesh, even though I formerly viewed even Christ according to the flesh. What he's saying is, I want to view people with spiritual eyes. I want to view people not just according to how they are outwardly, the color of their skin, the quality of their clothing, you know, the ways that people generally tend to view and judge people. I want to view people the way that God sees them, with his eyes. And I'll tell you, that changes so many things. And then Paul says in that same section, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, the love of Christ constrains us and we plead with people, be reconciled to God. So he's talking there about evangelism. And he's talking about being persuasive in evangelism, but he's also talking about what drives evangelism and it's got to be driven by love. The other, uh, some tips I would tell you, uh, I would tell you to, um, to be gentle with people, you know, but be wise and look for opportunities. Um, there's a thing which I, I really believe in, which is championed by people like, let's say, C.S. Lewis and Timothy Keller. And it's um, this thing which they refer to as subversive fulfillment. And that means that when people are doing things in everything that everybody is doing, ultimately what they are seeking is only found in Jesus. Now you can see the same model of evangelism exemplified by Jesus Christ himself in like the Gospel of John, right? So in, in multiple chapters of the Gospel of John, like where Jesus talks to somebody and like Nicodemus says, you know, what must I do to be saved or how do I go to heaven? Jesus says, you must be born again. And then he talks to a person in chapter four who says, hey, you know, um, he, she starts having this conversation about, hey, where's the right place to worship? Should we worship on Mount Gerizim like the Samaritans do? Or should we worship in Jerusalem like the Jews do? And Jesus is like, you know, really the bigger issue is this. You're searching for something um, through your relationships with men, romantic relationships that can only be found in God. And then in, in chapter five, we, he meets this man who's crippled and is, you know, dying to get down to the water so that he can be healed. And Jesus is offering him something better than that, the, the true fulfillment. And so the idea of subversive fulfillment just simply means that, like, for example, when people sin, you know, is, should we say, well, why are they sinning? Well, on one hand, yeah, they sin because we are uh, sinners by nature. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you could just say, oh, well, they're just bad sinners. Well, yeah, but wh why are they doing what they're doing? Let's think about this. If somebody's doing drugs, what are they looking for? Well, they're looking for some sort of escape or they're looking for some sort of high. Uh, are those things bad in and of themselves? No, in a way that they're exactly what the gospel promises in fullness, right? Escape from the pain of this world, um, you know, true um, experience of ecstasy and fulfillment these are things that are promised to us in christ and yet these people are searching for them apart from christ and kind of like a cheap shortcut that is ultimately going to hurt them and destroy them 
truly. Think about why people uh, commit sexual you know, Im immorality. What are they looking for? Usually they're looking for some sense of approval or some sense of you know, justification or some sense of um, acceptance. These kinds of things. Are those bad things? No. But the way they're going about trying to get those things is a way that is going to hurt them and destroy them and not just them but others as well. So the idea of subversive fulfillment just means that you look for the things that the person is really seeking and you show them how those things are found in Christ ultimately. Another uh, good method for evangelism is to help people come to a realization of their need for a savior. So for example, if somebody doesn't uh, recognize readily the fact that they are lost, then they're not going to appreciate being found. And so, you know, you could use uh, Ten Commandments, for example. You could use examples from the, the Bible that Jesus used to show people how desperately they needed uh, salvation, forgiveness, and a Savior. So those are two uh, tips I would give you on evangelism in, in addition to love. So God bless you, Anthony. Thanks so much for calling in. And uh, I just pray that God uses you effectively as an evangelist. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Justine in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Justine. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. How are you? Doing great. What's up? Uh, my husband and I have been having a debate over something, and I was wondering <laughs> if you could give us some clarification in the scriptures. Um. If a non-believer marries a believer, does that make them saved? Does that make who saved? The non-believer? The non-believer. Uh, yeah, the answer to that is no. That would be a very simple answer. So the answer is no. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, he was confused because, you know, a man and a woman become one flesh. So is there anywhere yeah. in the scripture, what, how can we back that up? That, that you're not, so that you're not saved by marrying a person who's a believer? Yeah. Well, I mean, this would be, here's, here's, this is something where you could um, break this down very simply. Okay, so the fact that they become one flesh uh, is speaking about a union of two people in the eyes of God, but that doesn't mean uh, that their souls necessarily become one soul, right? So, okay, I'll give you several examples. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, believing Jews were told not to marry unbelieving people um, because those unbelievers would lead them astray. Now, if, you know, as is suggested here, uh, a person could become a believer, get saved by marrying a believer, well, then the best evangelistic strategy in the world would be to marry everybody, right? Like, especially the men, as they were allowed in certain times in the past to marry multiple people. Well, the idea would be, well, why don't you go and marry all of the non-believers out there, and then uh, they will all be saved, and then that'll be great. And for some reason, that is not what God told them to do. And the reason is because uh, individual souls are dealt with individually. An example of this can also be found in Ezekiel chapter 18, which says 
exactly this. It says, um, it begins with this thing, which you kind of got to understand some historical context, but it begins with this saying, hey, no more do I want to hear this proverb spoken in Israel that says the fathers ate rotten grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge as a result. Now, what that proverb meant was that many people believed that the, that, um, so that whatever the father did um, had an effect on the spiritual status or spiritual destiny of the children because of their connection familially. And it, Ezekiel 18 is saying, no, 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 no. God's saying, that's not how this works. And it says later on in that chapter, the soul that sins shall surely die. And the point of that phrase is to say that each individual soul is treated individually and uniquely. Okay, and um, one last example, and uh, there are actually so many more I could give you, but I'll give you one more, is, you know, just simply in Second Corinthians, where um, it, they're told, do not be unequally yoked with a believer and an unbeliever. You know, he says, what, um, you know, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Therefore, do not be yoked with um, an unbeliever. And the idea of being yoked, this comes from farming, where um, two animals would be tied together with a wooden yoke. And if you had two animals who are of different kinds, like so let's say a donkey and an ox, but they're different sizes, and that wooden yoke is actually going to hurt them. Plus, they're not going to be pulling together. They're going to be pulling at different speeds. They might want to, you know, a donkey might want to go in a different direction than the ox. All that to say um, that what it's saying is, you know, you want to have two animals of the same kind yoked together. Why? So they can pull in the same direction. And so the idea there is that, um, again, if, if you could uh, save a person by marrying them, well, then Paul would probably want us to, you know, that would be like the best evangelistic strategy. All the believers should go out and marry unbelievers, and then they'd all get saved. And uh, that's not what it says. So, for example, it says uh, in Nehemiah and Ezra, they're told, they're told to put away their foreign wives. Again, why would you do that if um, marrying them would save them? So, to answer your question? Yes, thank you so much. Yes, Nick, Good. you made me, uh, you made me yeah, wrong. He lost the bet. <laughs> Well, that Thank certainly you, wasn't my goal to make anybody win, but uh, I'm glad that you guys no, are. No, no, it's, it's totally fine. It's you totally answered our question. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank God you. bless you guys. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady uh, from Whitefields Community Church answering your calls and texts on the air today. Let's go to uh, our next caller, Christy in Maryland. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. I'm Hi. calling because... Wait, something's wrong. Am I supposed to turn something down? Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm calling because I have a question about the Word. And I originally said Jesus was the Word. In John it says Jesus was the Word in the beginning. And also the Bible is the Word. One is physical and one is spiritual. And I, 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 I do get that. I do get it because we speak the word and we actually it has a spiritual effect but but anyway um, what I'm really getting at is that it appears to me that the Old Testament 
everything is physical. The New Testament is mostly spiritual. The Old Testament says that being thrown out of the garden is death. And we did a spiritual death, but in the Old Testament, everybody everybody does things wrong and they just get zapped dead. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And the rules, Not we get tons of rules, and they are physically given to us, and we have to follow these rules, and there's just all about physical, physical, physical. And then in the new life, um, we don't, we don't have that sort of consequence for doing things wrong anymore. We spiritually experience a kind of death when we are separated from him. Okay, um, so can you hear me? I'm going to okay. have, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in I'm agreement with you. I'm just asking if this is a, um, if this is kind of, if I'm on the right track here, because it's, it's really hard to read about um, husband's, Sleeping, um, uh, the, the Old Testament is very different from the New Testament. It's just wild and wacky. And and um, I'm tr trying to get my mind around it, and it just seems like they're kind of, is, everything is very simple and like you give children black and white because that's all they can handle because in the beginning there was no real direction. No one understood. So people were pulled out, and they were named the... Um, God's children, and then they were given rules, and they were start from the beginning, kind of, and everything is black and white, dead or alive, yeah. do it or you're dead, you know, that kind of thing. I'm just wondering what yeah. you're saying about that. What do you yeah. thoughts on no, that? Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely not on the same page with uh, where you're going there. I, I actually think that there's several assumptions in there that uh, I think should be challenged, and, and I appreciate you calling and asking about it, because I think it's good that you want to sort this out. Okay, so um, you have several questions. Let me start with the easy ones first, and then we'll move on to uh, the one about the word. Okay, so first of all, is it that in the Old Testament, God killed people if they didn't follow the rules in the New Testament? He didn't. No, that's not at all the case. There are uh, multiple times in the New Testament uh, where people died. I can tell you two right now where uh, people did something wrong and God killed them on the spot. Um, one of those would be in um, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira lie. I mean, it really actually, we look at it and we're like, okay, yeah, we can see that that was wrong, but was it worth killing them over? I mean, clearly God thought it was, uh, and I could probably think of some reasons why, um, but here's the deal. They lied about giving money to the church and God killed them on the spot. They dropped dead on the floor of the church. They had to drag them out by their feet. Okay, so there's somebody who disobeys God or sins against God and dies right on the spot. Another one would be in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 12, where Herod blasphemes God and gets killed on the spot and his body's eaten by worms. Um, so there's two examples of somebody just dying right on the spot um, in the New Testament. Okay, so really what I would say is that I think you're making a false dichotomy between uh, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I really don't uh, think that it's that helpful to think of these as two separate. Um, I mean, yes, we have two covenants, but don't think that God has somehow changed or the way that he deals with people has changed that much between the two. In both covenants, God ultimately only saves people through grace and um, by grace and through faith. And so, yeah, so that's that. Um, and I, I think that in the in the end, I don't think that human nature has really changed. I don't think that we've gotten a lot smarter um, than people were at that time. I don't think that 
that is fair to those people at that time to uh, assume that they were just not as sophisticated as we are today when it comes to uh, understanding right and wrong. I think that they absolutely understood right and wrong. Uh, I think Romans chapter 1 tells us that, that that's something that God has built into us. I believe that's part of the image of God that we bear, that he is a, a God uh, who is rational, and that's part of our uh, ability as rational beings is that uh, we're created in the image of God and we have that rational capability. So we're about to go to our break, by the way. So I'm going to have to have you hold uh, if you're willing to. And we can continue this conversation, particularly about this issue of the word, because I've got a great answer for you. I think it's going to clear up a lot of things. Um, but we'll Excellent. get to that right after our two minute break, if you're willing to hold. So. OK, cool. I'm glad to hear that. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. We are about to go to our two minute uh, mid show break. Uh, it's been great having all these callers. Uh, we do have a few open lines, so do give us a call. 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. If there's any more of you who would like me to sort out your uh, your debates between you and your spouse uh, and marital bets, we'd love to do that. Or you can text us 720-336-0897. We'll be back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything that you um, have as far as prayer needs. We'd love to pray for you and hopefully answer some of your questions. Give us a call. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that text line is 720-336-0897. It's a great time to call in. We had all full lines just a few minutes ago, but now it looks like we have two open lines. Uh, so do give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, let's go back to our last caller that we had just before the break, Christy from Maryland. Hey, thanks for holding, Christy. And, sure. Okay, so I hope I answered the prior question you had about um, you know the difference between how God acted in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, but you had another question about what does it mean Jesus is the Word of God in John chapter right. 1. Now, this is really right. important, and it's something that doesn't really come through well in English because um, we are so separated culturally from um, the first century. But here's, here's the thing you need to understand. If you look at that verse, this is 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. I'll just read it for our listeners' sake, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, remember this. John is writing... In the first century, he's writing in Greek to, assumedly, a Greek audience, right? A Greek-speaking audience. Now, right. Greek Greek philosophy understood this concept. They have this concept called, in Greek, the logos. Now, logos in Greek literally means word. That's why it's translated in our Bibles, word. But it meant something more than just the idea of the word or even how we understand the word of God. So this is something a little bit different. 
The idea of the logos was a Greek philosophical concept which essentially meant the big power behind the world, right? The, the great force behind everything, the force that holds everything together, the force that causes gravity to work, the force that causes the planets to rotate, the force that causes the sun to rise, right? They said there must be something, some sort of meaning, some sort of purpose, some sort of divine force behind all of these things. And they labeled this invisible divine power. They called it logos, the word. And, um, and so what John is doing is something which I would use the word subversive here. He is doing something which is incredible. He's saying, hey, you Greeks out there, you know that, that thing that you believe in? where you believe that there's an invisible force, invisible power behind the universe, that that power does exist. And guess what? I'll tell you who that power is. And look at the first words he uses, in the beginning. Have you heard those words before? Of course you have. They're the very first words of the Bible. And so the very first words of the Hebrew Bible, which tell us in the beginning, right, was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what he's saying is, hey, you Greeks, you know that concept of the invisible force behind the universe? Here's who that invisible force is. That invisible force is the God, and not just any God. It is the God of the Hebrews, the same God of the Hebrew Bible. But then check out what he does next. It's profound. He says, and the word was with God. Okay, so he's saying it was God, but yet it's distinct from God. And then the word was God. Okay. The word was God. And then he goes on to say who the word was. And what he says is the word was Jesus. So just let me wrap this all up in a nice bow for you. What he's saying is, hey, you Greeks out there, you people who believe that there's an invisible force behind the universe, you're right. And I'm here to tell you who it is. That invisible force behind the universe is the God of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew God. And guess what? Jesus Christ is the Hebrew God, and he is the invisible force behind the universe. So this is an extreme statement of Jesus' deity. For a Greek person reading this at that time, they would have never questioned whether or not Christians believed that Jesus is God. I mean, it's... Got it. Wow, yeah. okay. So that's the big idea between behind calling Jesus the word. But... Okay. Another really important thing is that you understand that the word in Hebrew carried with it the sense of God's power. So God speaks right. and things come into existence. And Jesus is, you know, he, he is God and he embodies all of the power of God. And so it's a very, very powerful statement to call Jesus the word. So when you call the Bible the word, mm -hmm. is that a different meaning? Yeah, in a way, yes, it is. So this is the written word of God, right? But we understand okay. that when we talk about God's words, when we're talking in plural, right? Now we say the right. word as a summary of all of the individual words, right? That's what we call his right, right. collective work of his word, which has been given to right. us. Okay, but when we talk about the words of God, we understand that God's words are not the same as our words. His words contain authority and power in a way that our words don't. And so uh, we do take the word of God to 
include or be implied in there how important it is for um, for us to understand like it in, it carries with it this incredible power got it okay okay thank you so much i appreciate that i've been meaning to ask that for a while well, i'm glad you got to call thank in you. awesome yeah have okay. a beautiful day god bless you bye-bye you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have all open lines right now. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, that text line is 720 0897. If you've been waiting for a time to call in with your question or your prayer request, we would love um, to hear from you and we'd love to pray for you and, and uh, answer some of your questions. Hey, uh, I'll just, uh, while we have um, some of the uh, time now with the open lines, uh, as we're waiting for those calls to come in, I'll just tell you what I've been up to. I've been away for the past two weeks. Um, I was in Europe and uh, some of you may know this, some of you may not, if you've been listening to the program regularly, that prior to moving to Colorado a couple of years ago, my wife and I were missionaries in Hungary for over 10 years. We actually met over there. We came to Hungary separately. I grew up here in Colorado, and I was sent out to Hungary by Crossroads Church of Denver, which is in Westminster. My pastor uh, is Tom Stipe, and he sent me out uh, as a missionary to Hungary. And I met my wife there, and she had been sent out from a church in Vista, California, which is in San Diego County. And uh, we met there. We, we kind of came separately as missionaries. We ended up working in the same church, working in different ministries. And um, anyway, so we, were, we got married there, and then we, together, after we got married, we moved up to a different part of Hungary in the north of Hungary, and we planted two churches up there uh, before we eventually moved here to Colorado to uh, for me to become the lead pastor at Whitefields in Longmont. And um, so we, we have a lot of friends and contacts. We usually make it back there once or twice a year um, for different things, usually conferences and speaking. Uh, but this time we got invited back. Um, I officiated a wedding and I preached at a church. And so we got to do that uh, over these past couple weeks. And on our way back, we had a long layover in Ireland uh, which is a little bit of a family vacation, but we also visited a good friend of ours in Cork, Ireland. And this friend of ours, his name is uh, Mike Neglia. He pastors a church called Calvary Cork. And what we were able to do uh, with that is that um, Mike and I are part of a group called the Expositors Collective. And I want to take the opportunity to just tell you a little bit about that. Um, and then we'll go back to our calls. But the Expositors Collective is a group that I'm involved in. And we do two things really we do training weekends so these are um, two-day training events uh, for people who feel called to preaching for both men and women uh, ages 18 to 34 who feel a call to preaching and our our mission and our goal with the expositors collective is to raise up the next generation of expository preachers uh, by giving them the skills and the knowledge and the resources that they can use to grow it's kind of like a jump start to somebody who feels a calling towards this, but doesn't know where to start. And so uh, we've done five events so far, and we're doing one more this year and then four next year. And in addition to these events, we also have a podcast. So if any of you love podcasts, you got to go 
even right now, and just subscribe to the Expositors Collective podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, all the, uh, wherever you get your, your uh, podcasts. And um, yeah, Expositors Collective podcast. So we do that. It's a weekly podcast. comes out every Tuesday. And we've had some of our... I, I did an episode recently with Jeff Figs from up in uh, Greeley, Colorado. He's also a host here on Calvary Live. Uh, Ed Taylor's been on the podcast before. Several uh, pastors from here in Colorado. And um, so we visited Mike. And then um, we're going to be doing an event in September in New Jersey. So that's our next one. And if you are interested in going to this, a lot of people fly in for these events. They aren't just for people locally. They're Because they're regional events, they only take place a couple times a year. Most people uh, fly in. So if you are interested, no matter where you're listening from, we'd love for you to come and be part of this um, training weekend that we're doing. If you feel a calling on your life from God to preach or teach the word, we would love to help you do it well. So uh, go to this website. It's expositorscollective.com. Expositorscollective.com. You can get all the info, where it is, how much it costs, um, how to get there. Uh, we keep the cost very low. Really just covers our cost to put on the event. And it's going to be in Tom's River, um, New Jersey. So about an hour south of New York City and about, I guess, an hour uh, east of Philadelphia, if I understand correctly. And We'd love for you to be a part of it and join us for that. So expositorscollective.com, check that out. Uh, let's go to our next caller, Luis in Northeast Colorado. Hi, Luis. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hey, real quick. Um, I have a sibling um, that is involved in that faith movement, and, and she's been involved in it for years. She went down to the Andrew Womack in Colorado Springs and went through all his, his schooling and then has continued to uh, move to different states, um, uh, you know, just partaking in his churches and whatnot. But um, my issue is that um, I have a large family, and I have six sisters, so we all get together once a year, and we're about to come on our trip. And we all believe there's a few of us that are Christians and some that are still Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all you know, believe in God in and, and various degrees, you know. But the one sister that has the faith movement, she gets annoying at times because the way she asks for everything in Jesus' name, like she's commanding him to do things on her behalf. Right. Um, and I'm not sure how to lovingly tell her that, you know, we all know how she, where she stands with her faith, and, and you know, she definitely loves the Lord. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. But it it becomes unnerving sometimes to listen to that all the time um, without getting friction, as families will do. Yeah. I so mean, I, I guess it, my, my question would be is how can I, in a, in a compassionate way, let her know, you know, can you minimize your... Um, yeah. Do you, do you think that she's capable of understanding how um, her behavior is affecting others around her, or do you think that she's kind of lacks that self-awareness? I, I think there's a part of her that definitely lacks that self-awareness, or she feels like we're attacking her. Yeah. And um, so she gets really defensive, um, and, and that's really not it at all. It's just, it's, it's constant, and so it 
it, um, you know, like I said, well, it looks like the weather says it's going to rain. And she's like, nope, I already prayed over that. Jesus is not going to allow it to rain. I said, well, what about the people that are praying for rain? Right. Who's, who's he going to answer? She says, oh, no one in the South prayed for rain. We've had enough. I'm like, right. okay. zero, zero people out of the millions pray for rain, apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> right. No, I get it. Um, you know, it's frustrating. I think that, uh, yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, one of, the, one, of, one of the better things you can do is kind of really try to undermine some of the uh, bad assumptions, that, which it sounds like you're doing. But, you know, I think that there's some really, really bad theology that underlines this, and I think that's what makes it uh, detrimental. And I'll tell you what happens as a result of this is that there, this is so much focused on, on me you know what I mean? It's an egocentric model of viewing God. In other words, you view God um, as useful to you, not as beautiful to you. This is one of the things I always ask my church. You know, I say this. Um, do you worship God or do you pursue God or whatever you do for God? Do you do it because you view God as useful to you? Or do you do it because you view God as beautiful to you? And I would say that in this uh, model, what they've done is that they have trained people to view God as useful to them. In other words, like, um, God is useful to me because he prevents it from raining. God is useful to me because he gives me what I want as long as I, you know, use the right formula in, right. in my prayers. And it is a very egocentric model. And it makes God useful to you. And the thing I always say is, well, um, you know, God is useful to you until he isn't. Right. Um, because at some point, um, the thing you got to remember is that he does not exist for you. You exist for him, both by ontology and by, um, you know, being saved. So, like, you are created for him, uh, for his pleasure, for his glory, not for not the other way around. And you were saved by him for him. Right. And right. so. Um, it's a very backwards way of thinking, and it leads to a lot of things. One of the things it leads to is that when things go your way and you feel that your prayers are being answered and they're working, so to say, it, it fills you with pride. It fills you with a sense of pride that you obviously are more spiritual, you're better than others uh, right. who are weak or who you know have a low view of prayer or something like that. Uh, the, and then the other thing it does is that it, when it, those things don't work, it absolutely destroys you because what it says is that, well, you must have done something wrong. You prayed wrong. It can never just be that, um, you know, perhaps God, uh, you asked for something in prayer, but God wanted to do something else. Right. And, you know, look, at it, it's just a very uh, in, insufficient view of God looking at the Bible. Like, are, are we to presume that Joseph, all the bad things that happened to Joseph, which God allowed for good, that those things then happened because Joseph just didn't pray good enough? Like, that's insulting, first of all. But secondly, it's not just insulting. It borders on blasphemy. Right. And I'll give you a really good example of this. So at my church in, so when I, when I lived in Hungary, which I, I was just talking about before I took your call, um, I lived in Hungary for 10 years. I pastored there two churches and, um, during this time that I lived in Hungary, I had a daughter who was born and my daughter almost died uh, in infancy because she had an oxygen deficiency. And um, anyway, she was in a coma for over a week and the doctors were able to save her. Uh, but, you know, we had so many people 
uh, around the country and internationally who were praying for her. And by God's grace, she got better. And it was truly a miracle. And um, it was amazing. Well, a couple of years later, I uh, handed over the church to a Hungarian pastor who we raised up. And he took over the church. And the day that we moved away from Hungary, uh, they announced that they were pregnant with a baby. And so a few months later, you know, the baby was born. And then within a year, uh, almost a year to the day of me moving away from Hungary, I was back in Hungary officiating the funeral of their baby who died. Um, that same baby they had announced on the day that we left. And, um, you know, their baby died of a genetic problem uh, that only came out after birth. It was very sad. And again, people were praying for this baby uh, to be healed. And in this case, the baby was not healed. And so we had uh, some people, even in that church that I pastored in Hungary, and they told this man who was the pastor, they said, you see, Nick's baby got better because Nick had faith and your baby didn't get better because you didn't have enough faith and you didn't pray right. And I had to go to those people and confront them and say, look, at, look here, not only is what you're saying insulting, to this man and his wife who clearly prayed that God would heal their baby. Um, but it is blasphemous because essentially what you're saying is that God's just kind of playing games, you know, like holding a carrot out in front of us and saying, um, you know, if you pray right and you use the right words and you, you know, muster up enough faith within you, then I will uh, not let your baby die. You know, oh, but if you don't, you know, if you only pray almost good enough, then I'm just going to let your baby die. Um, really, what kind of character does this assign to God that he's capricious, that he um, is petty? I mean, these these things, you know, when we're talking about rain or not rain, this is so trivial that it doesn't matter. But when we're talking about like babies dying, right, like when we're talking about big things that matter, um, we have to believe in a God who is bigger than our ability to pray for things. And if you look in the old in the New Testament, I mean think about this in Acts chapter 12, they pray for Peter to get out of jail and it says that they didn't even pray with faith. They didn't even have enough faith to believe that he was going to be saved or be saved from jail. Because when he shows up at the door, they don't even believe it's him. In other words, they didn't even pray with the uh, assumption that God was able to do it. And yet God did it. it that's a mustard seed amount of faith, right? The smallest possible. Enough faith to just pray. And then what happens in that same chapter? Um, James, the apostle, gets killed. So are we to assume that they didn't pray for James? No, I, I believe they prayed for Peter and they prayed for James. And God saved Peter and God didn't save James. Uh, and um, well, That's a good example. I mean, the, the about Peter getting out of prison. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it just, I think the more you think about this the and the deeper you think theologically, and I don't even think this is deep theology. I think this is just clear theology. Um, you have to say, you know, the one is a very egocentric model. It makes God useful. The other one is a view that God is beautiful and says like Job in Job chapter two, verse 10. This is a verse that my wife and I held on to so dearly when our daughter was uh, in between life and death, which is, you know, shall we accept good from the Lord and shall we not accept bad also? 
right? If we trust in him as the Lord. So I would, uh, to answer your question, I realized I went on a couple tangents there, but uh, to answer your question, my, my answer would be um, try to lovingly level with your sister that what she's saying uh, is not just uh, annoying to you, but you believe that it's insulting to God. And oh, very uh, good. that you really would want her to let like let's have a discussion about who this god is that we're talking about and um yeah and, and so you know i would just uh tell her that there's no example in the in the bible of people commanding god to do what they want him to do um, right. I, th I think that's that itself is quite insulting i could imagine your um sisters whether catholic or or you know protestant being insulted you know feeling offended by someone uh so to say, bossing God around. Well, yeah, yeah. So, and I, you know, it's unfortunate about all the the people that are involved in it that have such extraordinary bank accounts. I think the the, the view of humanism looks at that and thinks that that's blessings from God and you're a success and you must be so loved by Him when you live within your meager means and mm. and you know it's so it's such a deception in in people's lives that they um, live by that rule opposed to just being content with with what they have, whether they have much or whether they have little. Yeah, it's a spiritualization of greed. Yes. So, well, thank you so much. That did give me some insight, so I appreciate your time. I'm glad. God bless you. Bye-bye. You. Right, You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts here on the air. We've got five minutes left in the program. We could probably take uh, one more call. The number is 303-690-3000. But in the meantime, let's go to our text line and see how many of these we can answer before the show's over. Uh, Sandy asks on the text line, is the gift of prophecy still given today by God? And if it is, can one use it to prophesy about people's futures? Can you explain the specific gift? Okay, so uh, I am what's called a continuationist, um, which is, which means that I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically the sign gifts, these are really the only ones that are in question, um, are for today. So this would include speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. Um, so uh, why do I believe that? Well, first of all, I don't have any reason to believe that they have ended. And the other reason is because uh, if you look at the role of prophets and the role of prophecy in the New Testament, um, you see that prophecy uh, is defined in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, in this way. I'll read it to you. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and their consolation. Upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. So prophecy can be done, I believe it is often done, through the practice of preaching and proclaiming the word of God in the assembly of the church. Now, it is for these purposes, for building up, for encouraging and consoling. So I would describe the gift of prophecy in the New Testament as being a speaking forth a word from God for a particular situation or person or time, right? So it's a, it's a word, it's an opportune word for the right moment. This is God's word for this situation. I don't believe that prophecy is in uh, is to be done in order to reveal new things from God, because I believe that God has revealed all that he wants to reveal about himself and his plan in his word. 
So therefore, prophecy is a word from God which aligns with his word and which speaks to a particular moment and situation. Um, and, you know, in First Thessalonians, it says, don't despise prophecies, but weigh all things, test all things and keep that which is good. So just because somebody says that they have a prophecy doesn't mean you uh, accept it in every case straight away. It means that you weigh it. You, you weigh it uh, and have other people, you know, bring it before other people and test. Is this really a word from the Lord? And, um, and if it is, then you hold on to it and you pursue it. And um, can it be people's future? I think it can be in some cases, but I don't think that's the primary use of the gift. So I hope that answers your question. One interesting thing, I recently did this in the, my seminary studies, looking at the role of prophets in the early church. It seems that for the first uh, two to three centuries, there were prophets who were given that office, so to say, in the church, but they were never held on the same level as pastors, um, and their words were not um, greater than the word of God. They were always, their, their role was to speak a word into a situation that this is what uh, God is uh, saying about this thing, kind of like a word of, of wisdom, but a, a directly a word from God. And again, as 1 Corinthians 14.3 describes it, for upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So Sandy, thank you for that question, and uh, God bless you. Um, we have come up on the last two minutes, so it looks actually, actually the last minute of our show. And so I just want to thank you for tuning in. Hey, those of you in the Longmont, Colorado area, we'd love to have you join us this coming Sunday. We're doing our outdoor service at Whitefield. It's going to be great. 10 a.m. Sunday morning on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street, 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont, Colorado. Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. And uh, look forward to being with you again next Monday here on Calvary Live. God bless you and have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.